Well, Grace Baptist Church, what a blessing. I bring you greetings from the leafy glades of Lawrence County, Alabama. And uh, it's been too long, and it's good to be back. I, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here, and I, I, I did let my wife come this time. She's a... T- she stays grounded a lot, but uh, we, <laughs> we let her, I catch her dipping snuff, and she has to stay home. So <laughs> she, uh, I, I knew Lisa was level-headed when I met her because the snuff ran even out of both sides of her mouth. So <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> oh man, what a blessing! It's good, man. I love your pastor, and I know we, these things become a backslapping session, but that's just the way it is. And uh, I, I would tell you three things about your pastor that um, you probably already know. The first thing would be that there's just no better friend than uh, having Jim Alter as a friend. And uh, he is the most, um, he's the most giving friend that I have. Most of my other friends are horrible. He, he's, <laughs> he's a very giving person. And his strengths are often... They're often they they they're shaded by his slick, perfected exterior, right? He's uh, perfectly quaffed and and fashioned, and uh, a guy like that who's that good, you you don't you sometimes don't see what he's doing. You just see the shine. But this is a giving man, and you should see that. And I'm thankful for it. My life is better because he's my friend. And uh, that's true. So I thank God for it. I thank God for his mind. He has an exceptional mind. Anybody can read a lot and become better informed. And if you do that and you learn a little bit better how to communicate those things, you will sound smart. Anybody can sound smart. He is actually smart. And it has a lot to do with the speed with which he processes and disseminates information. He sees immediately truth from error and good from bad. And and he can read an entire book and find the two things that that matter in the book. And uh, I'm just trying to get through it so I can say I finished another one, you know. And uh, I'll tell you this. You should know this. If you don't see it now, you're, you're not paying attention. But he's the hardest working friend that I have. I know, I know no one that works harder than Jim. And uh, that is a wonderful thing. You could dress up like a job and scare me to death. But <laughs> Jim is a very hardworking man. And, and I'll admit it, it's hard to keep up with him. I, I, he's fantastic. And I love him. I thank the Lord for him. And I'm glad to be here today. Um, are y'all glad to be members of Grace Baptist Church? You understand what a blessing it is to be here. And, uh, you know, you can get help in a lot of churches. Um, you could go to some lesser places and uh, with not as much in the pulpit and with half the labor expended to put together a meaningful day in the Lord's house, right? We, we see it all the time. And still get encouraged in the Lord and the scripture and be helped. But this place, you get the idea that the people here take worship seriously. And that's a wonderful thing. Well, when I was young, I, I always thought I knew where I was going, right? <laughs> I didn't want anybody to give me any input. 
knew exactly where I was headed. And uh, Lisa and I were taking a trip with some friends up to, and this, if this gives you an indication of my arrogance, we were headed to her home in Holland, Michigan. And as we're coming into town, I was preparing to take a left, and I knew where I was going. And she said, no, this is not where you turn. And we had friends with us, so I was showing off. And I said, Lisa, I know what I'm doing. She said, but, I said, Lisa, just ride, okay? I'm in charge of this vehicle. Literally, the second we made the turn, I realized, wait, this is not where I thought I was supposed to. <laughs> this is not it. And, uh, and my buddy's driving, and I said, hey, turn around. He said, what was that? Do what? I said, turn around. <laughs> Took the wrong turn. We were coming back from Michigan. Same, same kind of a trip, just me and Lisa and the kids. Early days in ministry, and we didn't, we didn't have the money to get a hotel room. We barely had the money to get gas in the car to get us back to Coleman, Alabama, driving through the middle of the night because we waited too long to leave. And, and Lisa and the kids are all sleeping, and I stopped, grabbed some coffee, got back in the car. And this was back in the days where, you know, just nasty truck stop coffee. And I'm in a really bad frame of mind. I get on the interstate and head out. I drive for about an hour, and I realized I'm heading north again. So I drove like an hour the wrong direction. And uh, so I cursed for a solid hour south. <laughs> I turned around and threw a tantrum in the car while driving. I, I tell you, the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can trust God to get you where you need to be? All right, Genesis 12 is a great passage that tells us about a man who follows God, about a man who goes where God tells him to go, and he has in mind the things that God has for him. He doesn't know all the details, but he has some idea that this is a place of blessing that he is headed to. Now, the moral of that story is I did make it home. It was excruciating to go the wrong way for a solid hour. But I didn't make it home. And I've made some bad moves in my life. There's been decisions I've made as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, to take a direction in life that looking back was really, really stupid. But the grace of God, God can rule and overrule, right? That's what he does. And, and by his grace, he can reform our lives if we submit to him. So I want to make it clear that what we're going to talk about is not this. I'm not saying today that you must be very careful to follow God and to decipher all that he's saying to you through his word and through the vicissitudes of circumstance. And if you get it just right, everything will work out okay. That's not what I'm saying. If that was the case, we'd all be in a mess. What I'm saying is that God's way is best. And if you decide to follow God and you do it sincerely, even the mistakes, even the dumb moves, God can fix it, right? God can bring good from those messes. That's a blessing. The Bible says in Genesis 12, in verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto, most people would say Abram. I heard a smart preacher say Abram. And then Stephen, in Acts 7, referring to Abraham before his name was changed from Abram to Abraham, 
referred to him as Abraham. If Stephen can do it, I can do it. So the the rest of this sermon, I'm going to refer to him as Abraham, all right? Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land and to the place of Sikkim under the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. Cue ominous music, <laughs> right? And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he builded, or there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Lord, we pray for help this morning. May we find our way. May we rest in the place where you have put us with meekness and faith. And may we seek to go where you would take us in life. And may we do this by faith and understand it. We pray for your help in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Abraham is... He's quite a man, isn't he? You know, Abraham is a key figure in the three great monotheistic religions of the world. He's a key figure in Christianity, a key figure figure in Judaism, and a key figure in Islam. And so we might say then, if you get Abraham wrong, you're going to get a lot wrong, right? You're off track theologically because Abraham is the father of the faithful. And so we look at a text here, and and while we're going to be a little more devotional this morning than what our churches are really accustomed to, it's not an error to take Abraham and see him as an example of faith for this age, because the Bible's clear about that. Hebrews 11 has that whole hall of fame there of people who, by faith, followed God. And that's what I want you to ask yourself this morning. Are you following God? That's important. To say that it's important is an understatement. It's like packing for the trip. You have to put the important stuff in first. You got to get everything out of the trunk and put the important stuff in and then squeeze the lesser important stuff in and go with what you can take, right? That was back when people had trunks. How many of y'all remember that? Yes. So you put the your clothes in and then the golf clubs, <laughs> or in my case, jam a guitar in there, and then it, it, everything else we'll see if we can get it along on the trip. If you're going to make this trip well, you have to begin with the desire to follow God. Now, you young people, your struggle is going to be, is this, 
is following God going to be the answer for me experiencing the most meaning and fulfillment in life? That's the question. Or are these old people trying to hustle me? Are they trying to run some kind of a con on me and get me to buy into this weird antiquated approach to life? And I think you, if, if you're smart, you, you know better than that. That there's going to come a day, believe me, there's going to come a day when you can do whatever you want to do. However you want to do it. You can make all of your own decisions. And when you get there, you're going to wish you had somebody smarter than you telling you every move to make. Believe me. Learning to follow God is vital. In our text, God speaks. Again, I tell you, there's no greater day than that day when God speaks to us as believers. Now, I hope you know when I say God speaks to us, I mean that he speaks to us through the scripture. That's how we hear the voice of God in this day and age. And you know that, I don't have to tell you that mysticism is a great problem in our age where people are hearing voices in their head and God's always telling them things and every emotion is God saying this and God saying that and man, that does not work for somebody as emotional as I am. Because I, I can feel great about something that is a bad idea. I can feel really horrible about something that is a great idea. <laughs> Amen. I can be moved by things that are meaningless and totally disinterested in very important stuff. Amen. I've been with Brother Jim before. We're hearing the same sermon and I'm moved to tears. And he's saying, what does he come up with this story? That doesn't even make any sense. I'm like, Shut up, Jim. Don't mess with I, This is a good story. I don't care if it's true. I don't care if it makes sense. I'm moved by it, right? But we worship a God who is there. He's not a force. He's a personal God. Our personality came from God. That is our innate God-likeness. We serve a God who is there. And this God has not left us to twist in the wind of ambiguity and misdirection and meaningless. Our God has spoken unto us. The Bible says God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And who is his son? But the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did the word do? Jesus said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send the comforter and the spirit of truth is going to guide you into all what? Truth. And he said, I'm going to bring to your remembrance the things that I've said unto you. That is not some kind of cosmic memory program. That is Jesus telling the disciples, when I'm gone, don't freak out. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to lead you into these matters and you're going to be able to write them down and you will have the words of God codified, sealed, preserved and authorized by the signs and wonders of the apostles. And so here we are today with these words from God who speaks and has spoken. That's a blessing. And I'll tell you something, young people. 
If you have never experienced a moment where you believe that God had something for you from his word, whether it be reading the scripture or hearing a sermon or having these words from this book come alive and challenge you and rebuke you and convict you or console you, you're missing something. And that's all we're trying to give you is a relationship with God, a life that involves following God. He speaks. Not only that, but he speaks to lead us out of something into a better place with a better plan. In this text, if we had time, we could run the cross-references, and it's very clear that Abraham is in idolatry. His family is lost and in the darkness of false worship, a godless existence, and God breaks through that and speaks to him and calls him out. Now, I am not a Calvinist. I do not believe some of the things that they believe. In other words, I I believe that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? I love our Calvinist brethren, but we don't, I don't agree with them on some of these things. But I'll tell you this. The people sitting in this room have experienced some wonderful favor that people all over the world do not. You have a Bible in your language that you're holding in your lap right now. You've heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over. And you have grown up in a nation that has to varying degrees honored that gospel. And so God has spoken to you through his word. And he's done so in order to bring you out of one place to another place that is better, that is favorable, a better plan. Deuteronomy 6.23 reiterates this, which is really what Deuteronomy is about. is a repeat of the law. Deuteronomy 6.23, and he brought us out from thence. He brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. That's what he's doing with Abraham. He's bringing him out and he's going to lead him in and he's going to give him the land and he's going to bless the nations of the world through him. God's plan is better. And that's what he's doing with Abraham. God has a plan like that for you. The Bible says very clearly that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his what? Purpose. So God has a plan for you. Specific things that he has put together. And he's called you out in order to lead you to those places. Well, In the process, God speaks to us. Y'all remember that part, right? God speaks. He speaks to us in three ways. Commands and promises and manifestations. God's going to come to you. And he's going to command you to do some things and command you to avoid some things. And then he's going to add to those 
commands and promise, or those commands, he's going to add some promises. He's going to say, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do. This will be the result. These will be the consequences. And then there will be manifestations. Don't get nervous. <laughs> How many of y'all understand everything in the Bible is not to be seized and duplicated? Right? I mean, I mean there's, there's a reason why we read things in the Scripture that happen one way in one dispensation, and they don't happen that way in another. And that's just the way it works. We don't have time to get into that. You already understand that. So what we try to do when we look at a text like this is find the truth in there that is timeless. And I'm getting ahead of myself telling you what I'm going to tell you, but we know what commands are, we know what promises are, but the manifestation shows up when we have begun to weaken in our fortitude to believe those promises and to enact those commands. And God is gracious enough and merciful enough to show up and to remind us of what he's already told us. That's a blessing. That's a mercy beyond mercy. I mean, beyond uh, description. Okay. So God speaks to us in commands and in promises and in manifestations. So I want to encourage you this morning to follow God. That's the sermon, to follow God. And I want us to become less nebulous or general or sermonic, <laughs> less hype, and a little more feet on the ground specificity. I mean, what does this mean? We're going to follow God. Everybody has their own truth, right? <laughs> I'm just finding my way. Commands come to us in a couple of different ways. There are a lot of different Bible words that are synonyms for the Word of God. You know that. Your Psalm 119 series would have made that abundantly clear. But let's just pick two words. Let's take the word precept and the word principle. And let's say this. If we're going to follow God, let's begin by following Him with the right set of standards. That word strikes fear in some independent Baptist hearts. Because we know the craziest things in the world could be about to come forth. But when I say standard, I mean a, a measuring stick, an authority for how we should actually live. And that's what the scripture is. Thomas David said, I esteem all thy precepts to be right concerning all things, and I hate every false way. Sometimes that's not going to be a problem for you, but at other times it's going to put you at odds with the world that you live in. And to esteem the scripture as the final authority in all matters of faith and practice is going to put you outside the camp. And you cannot always have the esteem, the respect, the admiration of your community at large if you believe that book. Amen. The Bible says that if a man's ways please the Lord, he may keep making even his enemies to be at peace with him, but they're still enemies. <laughs> See? Let's take two words there, precepts and principles. A precept is a law. It's the command, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's a law. 
And it means what it means. And it's serious. Because the Bible says marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. But uh, whoremongers and fornicators, God will judge. God will judge them, the Bible says. For you Christians, you're judgmental. Don't worry about us. I wouldn't worry about us too much. So the point is, it's a law, and it doesn't matter if it's noon or midnight. It's like speed limit 55. That's the speed limit. Seems a little arbitrary. Why not 54? Why not 56? But it is what it is. And God's laws are not arbitrary. They are rooted deeply and firmly in his character, his nature, as a holy God. His law comes forth from his holy nature. So we have laws. Now listen, I don't, I don't have time for this, but let me say, I, I know there's a lot of different kinds of people here. And if you're new to some of this, which is absolutely wonderful, if you're new to some of this, understand that when we talk about God's law, there's a difference between a ritualistic habit or a religious ritual rather be a better way to say it in the old testament that is not binding in this day and age because it's not part of the new testament expression those things were as paul said nailed to his cross but god's holy law is given in the old testament and it's reiterated in the new and it's nailed down and explained and established by the apostle paul and it's clear that these are moral matters that are connected with the holy nature of God. So we have a law. We're trying to follow God with the right set of standards. Are we together on that still? And we have a precept which is a law. Speed limit 55. But then we have principles in the word of God. And principles are like saying drive carefully. An admonition my son has never honored. If Buddy says, put your seatbelt on, I'm fixing to try something, you're better, you'd be better off to just throw yourself out of the vehicle. Be safer. I went fishing with him the other day. He's got a bass boat. First time I went with him in this new boat. We were going so fast, I, I, I did not think I was going to be able to stay in the boat. And he's just over there, you know, la, 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 drinking coffee. Just <laughs> the madness never stops with him. But anyway, principles and precepts. Speed limit 55, drive carefully. In the Word of God, you have some principles. They, they should govern how we behave. They, they are timeless admonitions that you can apply in different situations, right? The Bible says to make no provision for the flesh. That, that's a principle. So there's all sorts of things that will change over time in a culture and you'll have these new manifestations of sin and temptation and seduction and the scripture gives us principles that will work in any age. So it's important to honor the precepts and to keep them and to honor the principles because God is just as concerned about our honoring those as keeping the other. Amen. So we follow God with the right set of standards. Notice the contrast. Let's go to the second point, and then we'll look at the contrast. How does God speak to us? Three ways, right? Commands, promises, precepts. Commands, promises, and manifestations. We proceed with the right set of standards, and, and then 
And forgive the alliteration, it just happened to be there, all right? The second thing is that we should follow God with the right source of satisfaction. God gives us promises. And it is within the parameters of those promises that we should be able to find satisfaction. These are the things that should make us happy. The things upon which we should set our hopes. But instead we want to be Christians in the, in the, in the legitimate sense. But we want our hopes and dreams to be humanistic and materialistic and worldly. And so we live in a state of constant frustration because we want to live like a Christian and be blessed like a heathen. And we get our satisfaction from the wrong source. The Bible says to set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We get so wrapped up in this stuff and so entangled in this stuff. It's promises. Look at his promises in the text. He said, get thee out in verse 1. And then what does he say? I will go to the land that I will show thee. Verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless them that bless thee. See, this is what he tells us to do. And then he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. Now, you do understand that God's promise to bless Abraham was didn't turn out exactly like he was thinking. You go read Hebrews. You, you know that the blessings, ultimately, that God is referring to here, some of them are still unrealized. You, you got that? The kingdom, when the land is given to his seed, which is Jesus Christ, that realization is going to happen in the kingdom. So if Abraham was like us, he would be back here thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And I would have been, he's asking every day, where's this city at? Where's this city at? Where's this city at? Where are these blessings at? When are we going to bless? See? Because his focus was all on the now and not the timeless. Not what God was doing in his eternal purposes. But isn't that our struggle now, church? Maybe we don't care enough about his purposes. I mean, we just don't care. We want the blessings now. The songwriter said, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and he rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright design and he works his wondrous will. Do you Fearful saints, fresh courage take for the clouds that you so dread are great with mercy and shall burst with blessings on your head. His purposes shall ripen fast, unfolding by the hour. And the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. When we follow God... We have to strive, long labor for our hopes to match up with his promises so that somehow we strip ourselves from the temporal obsessions, from the carnal obsessions, and set our hopes on 
things above. God is provident. That means that he is committed to and he's able to sustain his purposes through the passing of time. What God has promised to do and determined to do, he is able to accomplish. He is the master of all human events. He sees ahead. He orders and arranges the affairs of our lives that he may bring about his purposes. I'm not saying he causes everything. I'm saying that what he decides to cause is going to get caused. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Amen. He can do that. He's God. He's provident. He knows how to work around our foolishness and work through our bad decisions and prop us up when when we're feeble. And bring us to that place of blessing. And the biggest challenge for some of us is not the circumstances and the setbacks that are beyond our control. The problem that we often find, I think the contrast of this passage where God says, go do this and I will and I will and I will. The contrast seems to be Genesis 11 where men get together. In verse 3, and they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. Verse 4, and they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. So the whole debacle at the Tower of Babel was an expression of men getting together and trying to accomplish their will. Bring their own plans and dreams to fruition. But God calls Abraham out. He says, I will. So we've seen that uh, we follow God with the right set of standards and the right source of satisfaction. And then finally, I would say, with the right sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Now, every doctrine, almost every doctrine suffers from certain abuse potential, right? Eternal security. So, well, these Baptists, they think that since you once saved, always saved, that means just pray this prayer and you can do whatever you want to. Anybody says that doesn't understand our theology at all. But you can see that's a possible abuse potential. We baptize. We believe in baptism very strongly. It's clear in the scripture and it has a, a, a number of purposes that are effective. But if you begin to tell people you're not a Christian if you're not baptized, then the doctrine is being abused because not only is that wrong, you have to become a Christian before you're a candidate for baptism. It's exactly the opposite. So when we talk about the Spirit of God and Him working in our lives and leading us and helping us in His witness, bearing witness with our, His Spirit bearing witness with our Spirit, etc., It is susceptible to abuse potential. People have a tendency to say, well, I'm just going to follow the Spirit. I hear it all the time. People get up to church and say, well, we're going to mind the Lord tonight. Translation, we're making this up as we go. You know? And I don't mind somebody being more loose in their approach to worship. You don't want to have an order of service and plan some things and practice them and try to get it tight. That's fine with me. It really is. You want to just rear back and let it rip and get somebody up there to, you know, to throw it down. I'm good with that. Just don't blame it on the Holy Spirit. 
They don't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. I went to preach a youth camp one time. A guy picked me up at the airport, and he was one of those guys that was more prepared. And we're on the way to the airport, and he said, yeah, I've been working this morning trying to get the, the, trying to get ahead of the week and get our bulletin ready and turn in some information to the secretary while I'm going to preach Sunday so she can get it in the bulletin. And back in those days, I'm thinking, well, my word, this guy doesn't know the Holy Ghost at all. I mean, this was Monday. How in the world does he know what he's going to preach on Monday? And I asked him, I said, I said I, I'm just curious. Is there no, no concern about following the Spirit in your approach to sermon preparation? He said, oh, absolutely. He knew where I was coming from. He was older and he was just letting me run my mouth. He said, oh, sure, absolutely. He said, I just have the idea that the Holy Spirit can lead as easily on Wednesday as he can Saturday night. I said, huh. I never thought of that. <laughs> I have had those moments where I've said, uh, Lord, I'm not trying to rush you, but it's Saturday and it's getting late. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you don't give me a sermon, I'm in trouble. Amen. Well, Here's what I mean by the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Now, he's already told him that. He should have, you would think Abraham should have known this. But the Lord showed him again. He goes into the land where there are Canaanites. And, and you know, and we're, 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 we're assuming this. But that that has some effect on Abraham. So here are the Canaanites and man, this, these are godless people and this is completely different and this is supposed to be the land where I'm supposed to go and you're going to bless me here. And so what does God do? God manifests himself and reminds him of what he's already told him. That's what he does for you every time you come to church and hear the gospel preached, hear the word of God. Brother Jim said many years ago, we must preach the gospel to ourselves lest we become discouraged. We have to be reminded of it. We have to be put in remembrance. You read your Bible hopefully daily or, or, or strive to. And how often do we get into the word of God and we're reminded of things we've forgotten? And that's where the sensitivity to the spirit comes in. He's the spirit of truth. He's going to speak through his word. He's going to manifest himself over and over and over in the words of God. And what's going to happen when we do that? I mean, what's going to happen? Well, look at verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Well, wouldn't it be nice to be a blessing? There's really nothing better than that, is there? It's far more gratifying than doing something for yourself. And, and I could be the most self-centered person in the world. Ask my wife. She's right here. That'll be the only thing she'll agree with me on this week. <laughs> you know, I always tell my family, I don't think I'm selfish. I, I don't think I am sometimes, but most of the time not. I don't think. I want my family to be happy. More than anything else, I want my wife and my kids to be happy. I feel like if Lisa isn't happy, I'm failing miserably as a person. I want them happy. I just want them to be happy my way. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> and so let me encourage you, church, follow God and keep this in mind that 
the, the practical benefit of this, above all else, is that God will use you to be a blessing. All over this room are people who've been helped by Grace Baptist Church. You've either been saved here or you were discipled here and strengthened in the faith and your family has grown because of it and your life is better and you've supported this work and you've put money into this work and you've been here through the years. Now, every person that gets helped, you are participating in that. You are part of this work of God that is intended to be a blessing. My dad was a football coach. You know, every guy in the world thinks he can coach, you know, but only some can, and man, he could do it. He could coach kids and teach them how to play football. I mean, play it right, right? And they, it, his teams, I mean, his third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders looked like a football team. They knew how to get in a three-point stance. They didn't jump off sides. They knew how to take a handoff, how to... His dad would say how to punish people. <laughs> it teach fifth graders to, to be lethal. And I mean, it was a thing to watch. I mean, those little offensive lines would just blow these big holes and just, he would run, he'd just run through people. It was awesome. Well, one year he had a kid on his team. And in, in, in those days, if he, you know, he had to play everybody because, you know, it's the kids' league and you know how it goes. And so, you couldn't just say, well, kid, you're terrible at this. You had to play them. So he would usually put them at, at end, right? Those guys usually played at end. Their uniforms would be perfectly clean at the end of the game. You know what I'm talking about? And so dad had one of these kids on his team. This kid didn't have any kind of athletic ability, and he was not going to do anything for the team. But dad goes to practice one day, and the kid's not there. He, he'd quit. And so that bothered my dad. So dad goes to their house the next day. And, you know, knocks on the door, and the parent comes to the door and is kind of surprised to see him. And he says, I've, I've been missing, you know, Oswald or whatever his name was. <laughs> I've been missing Oswald. Where, where is he? And his dad kind of, you know, closes the door behind him and says, well, you know, it's just not for him. He's not good at it. He's He just doesn't think he's going to be able to contribute, and he's afraid. And dad said, man, will you just bring him? Can I talk to him? And he said, well, sure. So dad sat down with this kid, and he said, man, what am I going to do without you there? I, I, I get there yesterday, and you're not there. Oswald is not there. Who's going to play your spot over there? And I, I need you there. Can, would you think, would you come back tomorrow and to practice and play? He said, yes, sir, I'll, I'll come. So he came back. He didn't do anything. He probably didn't make a tackle. Probably didn't make a block. Just self-preservation. <laughs> Get killed. At the end of the year, they had the little banquet, you know. He comes to my dad and gives him a present. It was like a coffee cup or something. And his father told him, he said, that moment changed my kid's life. He became outgoing. He started making friends. He started actually liking football. He changed as a person because you cared enough about him to make a difference. So my sermon is this. Follow God. And follow God with the idea that if you care and if you're faithful and if you're intuitive, if you're listening and looking, God will give you opportunity to be a blessing.
Because I'm telling you, people are struggling. And it's not going to be an easy couple of years ahead of us. <laughs> you understand what I mean? And the election season starts and the non-stop madness that's coming. People need somebody, a Christian, who is happy that they're a Christian. Right? And can care about them and love them where they're at and be a blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for your word and how it encourages us, how it helps us. We're so thankful for the people in our lives who've been a blessing.